Well, November is known as the month of gratitude, and so it's with a spirit of gratitude that I stand here today and um, have been approaching the massive and life-transforming changes that I've experienced this past year. Just to name a few, completion of my dissertation, check. Graduating, receiving my doctorate, check. Getting diagnosed with cancer, check, unfortunately. Chemo, surgery, more chemo, few visits to the ER, check. Becoming senior pastor, check. All of it just kind of makes my head swim a little bit saying it, but it has been truly transforming in so many ways. And because we've all sort of been in this together, because you've been right with me, I can feel it, I thought it would make sense for us to explore today what it means to be truly transformed. We hear the word transformation thrown around a lot, and in my view, it's a word that's almost sacred. It really carries a lot of weight. And when I say that something has been life transforming, I don't take that lightly. But I also just bought laundry detergent recently that promised to transform the way I do laundry, and I'm pretty sure we're not talking about the same thing. So what does it really mean? What does it mean to be transformed? I think it's something radical, very radical. It's defined, in fact, as a dramatic change in form or appearance. In physics, a transformation is a spontaneous change from one thing into another. In biology, transformation is the change of a cell from one type of thing into some other cell altogether different. But I think the one that I like the most that comes closest to what we're talking about here is metamorphosis. You've all seen a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. Does that ever get old? No, it's just, it is a stunning and awesome thing to behold. And metamorphosis is what is happening there. It's amazing. Here's how the dictionary uh, defines metamorphosis. A change of the form or nature of a thing or a person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. And in case you're curious, the dictionary goes on to define supernatural as something caused by a force beyond our scientific understanding or beyond the laws of nature. I'm telling you, we toss around the term transformation too lightly. It is radical. It's a radical change that can just defy the laws of nature, defy our understanding. And it's a powerful force, the powerful force that Paul was talking about in Romans 12 this morning. Paul was asking us to lean into that powerful, that powerful force of transformation in our own lives. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And that can kind of make it sound like all we have to do is put our minds to something and circumstances will change. That'll be enough to change our lives, as if our sheer willpower will do the trick. Well, no wonder so many of us linger in despair because we think it's all up to us to change. We think it's all up to our own power. Whether we're talking about a healthier lifestyle or curing a broken heart or lamenting the war that we're 
experiencing globally right now between Israel and Hamas. Whatever other evil exists in the world, our willpower alone is not enough to change these things. It is not sufficient enough to change the things we want to change. It's going to take a supernatural event. So let's get supernatural here for just a minute. In Romans 12, Paul starts out by saying that we should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, that that is our true worship, in fact. Now, I want you to hang in there with me for just a minute because words like living sacrifice and transforming your minds can seem a little bit heady sometimes. We look at scripture and we think, well, what in the world does that actually mean? But he is setting the stage here in Romans 12 for the action that we need to take, the ways that we need to think in order to put us on the path to really meaningful change in our lives and in the world. By saying that we should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, Paul is actually using language that his contemporaries would have understood. Remember, he wrote this 2,000 years ago. There's a reason it can be confusing in scripture. The language was different. So he's, he's using language here, though, that his contemporaries would have understood, and he's leading them and us to think about bringing to worship with an offering. We do that all the time, right? We come forward with an offering right before communion. Well, Paul is saying that you need to come as a living sacrifice. And his hearers would have been very intrigued by that because they didn't bring living sacrifices. They brought dead sacrifices. They brought sacrifices to the altar. In this case, in particular, he would have been referring to a burnt offering. A burnt offering had to be the best animal from your flock. It had to be a strong one with no imperfections or defects. It had to be one that you were willing to bring forward to show your absolute commitment to God. As if to say, everything I have, God, is yours. It is yours first and foremost. It was never mine to begin with. So I give it to you, God, with no reservations. A burnt offering was a total expression of trust. And it was probably meant to be kind of a jolt for Paul's hearers that he would use this particular way of language because he was saying essentially that as followers of Jesus, instead, we need to offer ourselves continually dying to our own interests and living for God. The preacher and author Tim Keller writes that the old sacrifices were no problem. You killed it and that was that. You left it on the altar. They burned it and it was over. But a living sacrifice means every day, every hour, every moment, right now, we have to deliberately and consciously and continually and intentionally and perpetually offer ourselves to God. It's constant. It's never over. It's intense. And it's radical, I would say. What it means to live a Christian life is that you put to death the idea that you belong to yourself. You put to death the idea that you know best how things should go in your life. You put that to death and you give it to God. That's what the Christian life is about. It feels like a death sometimes to relinquish that control, doesn't it? 
It feels like a little bit of a death to say, okay, God, you know best. I trust you. That's so hard for us to do. Can I really relinquish that kind of control with what I'm going through? Can I really offer that kind of trust with what I'm going through? I would argue that no, we can't, not without renewing our minds. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. There's a fabulous Greek word called metanoia. Metanoia means roughly go beyond the mind that you have. Isn't that lovely? Go beyond the mind that you have. Metanoia is a soul transformation, and it requires us to go beyond what we know. Metanoia is the word that Jesus used when he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the same word that John the Baptist used when he said, repent and be baptized. The word metanoia has been translated into the English language as repent, but I love the actual Greek definition that is more along the lines of go beyond the mind that you have. In other words, change your way of perceiving things. Change your reality. Change your perspective, the way that you see things. Metanoia, or this soul transformation, is the very first recommendation that Jesus gave us for living a Christian life. Repent. Change your way of knowing. The kingdom of God is near. And so Paul here is reminding us how to go about that, how to go about renewing our minds. And he gives us a big list, which we heard read this morning. And I wanted to read the whole thing, even though it was long, because it is so meaty. It's so relevant to the way we live our lives. Paul says, think of yourselves as being part of the same body, not separate from other human beings, but just bringing different gifts. I heard someone say last night that we're all part of a big stew, right? Just acknowledging we are not separate from each other. Paul goes on to say, don't be prideful or envious of others, just be you. He tells us to love genuinely, authentically. In other words, don't be fake. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in times of trouble, persevere. Paul says, help those in need, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Don't repay evil for evil. That's a tough one. He says, live in harmony, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. The list is long and even longer than those few things that I read out loud here, but it's to remind us of the ways that we are supposed to follow Jesus. And we can't possibly do all of that and still be witty and charming at a cocktail party if we are not going to transform ourselves by renewing our minds. And man, is that ever hard. The change process is hard. Years ago, I taught a parenting class called Redirecting Children's Behavior. And it was a five-week course, and we would always spend the first two to three weeks really talking about how to lay a healthy foundation with your kids. 
we would talk about family meetings, and we would talk about unconditional love, and we would talk about just building that, um, that healthy communication style with your kids. And those were the, that was the emphasis for the first three weeks, at least. And um, so we weren't even to the parts yet where your kids are misbehaving and stealing the car and needing uh, big discipline moments from mom and dad. And invariably, by week three, somebody would always pipe up. And I can I'll always remember this one woman who just said, oh, this is all so hard and so much work. And I looked at her and I was like, yeah, it's called parenting. <laughs> I mean, it's bu buck up, buttercup. It's hard, right? But that's the change process. We get to this point where we're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. And I began to see, teaching this redirecting children's behavior course, that almost every single time I taught it, and I did teach it for about 20 years, by week three, people were just over it. My favorite was when somebody would say, they should call this course redirecting parents' behavior, which is the truth. <clears throat> but every week, every, every session by week three, someone would just kind of be like, I'm over this. Because that's the place where we begin to see change. And we begin to realize that we may know what we need to, <clears throat> excuse me, we may know what we need to change, but we don't yet have the tools to figure out how we're gonna get there. And that is a frustrating place to be. That is so frustrating to know where we wanna be and not how to get there. It's overwhelming. It's part of the change process that everyone goes through, no matter what it is that you're trying to change in life, though. And what happens is we start comparing ourselves to other people who are on the path with us. And we think, well, they've got it figured out. They've already done it successfully. Why can't I figure it out? We start doubting. We start wondering if we'll ever be able to accomplish the change that we want. We start thinking this whole thing is just ridiculous. Why did we start down this path in the first place? I assume some of you have been there with whatever it is that you may have been experiencing. But when we're in the middle of that change process, one of the hardest things is that we can't really ever go back to where we were. Now that we've recognized what needs to happen, all we can do is keep moving forward. Well, I have good news for you. This predicament of being in the middle is part of what we call the hero's journey. So you're all heroes of your own stories. Isn't that great news? The concept of a hero's journey involves either a real or a fictional character who goes on an adventure. And this hero leaves the world as they know it. They receive some sort of supernatural aid right at the beginning that sets them off on this journey. And they step into the unknown. They leave the known and step into the unknown. And it's here in this unknown area that the hero faces challenges and crises and, yes, blessings and adventures along the way. They encounter people who help them at critical points in their journey. And they eventually triumph and come back home, guess what, transformed. The hero's journey is a very common motif, and we know from Joseph Campbell, whose extensive body of research 
tells us that nearly all major religions and all major mythological narratives have some sort of a hero's journey in it. So does literature, so does music, so do movies. And the reason it's such a popular motif is that if you are a human being, and you are, you are going to experience the unknown at some point in your life. You are going to be given the chance to be the hero of your own story. Maybe many times over and over again, you're going to experience that. And here's the thing I want you to know. The unknown part of the hero's journey is the most important part. That messy middle where you face the bulk of your challenges and crises and uncertainty, that's the meat of the story. It doesn't make up the bulk of your lives for sure, but it makes up the bulk of that particular journey, that adventure that you've set out on. And when you leave the world as you know it, maybe you become pregnant, you head off to college, you're on the hunt for a new job or a new experience, you get a tough diagnosis. When you leave the world as you know it, whatever that journey is, you can be sure that the messy middle is the most important part. It's the part that's going to rock your world, and it's the part that's going to change you forever. That's the part we got to pay attention to. According to the hero's template, that is where transformation happens. When I was diagnosed with cancer eight months ago, it was shocking. It was a lot of moments of despair. It was a lot of unknown. And I held on to some faith and positivity for sure, but those moments would be followed almost immediately by bouts of crying and moments of despair. And somewhere in those first few weeks, I realized I really had to pay attention to the tough stuff to the conversations I didn't want to have, but I was having in my head. So I was having them all to myself, which was making me even more scared that I couldn't say them out loud. So somewhere I summoned the courage to have one of the harder conversations, which is, what if? What if this is the thing that takes me out? And I remember talking to my husband, Tim, and saying, okay, maybe I only have five years. And then I'm too much of an optimist, so I said, but maybe I have 10. Maybe I have 30. My mind always goes there. But what if eventually this is the thing that takes me down? I did not want to have that conversation out loud. But I'll tell you something. It was a lot easier to have it out loud afterwards than it was to keep it inside. And I'm sharing that with you because we don't know what the future holds. None of us can predict that. But what I do know is how I want to show up. And how I wanted to show up in the middle of this period of my life, this challenging season of my life, was with love and with grace. And I said that out loud, too. That's the intention that I held for as much as the time that I could for what I, with what I was going through. And I think that when we set our intention for how we want to show up for hard things, it's critical 
to us being the hero of our own story. So I led with love and grace in the middle of my story, which helped me get through. It helped me hold on to all the love you were offering me, helped me hold on to positivity, helped me have hard conversations that I didn't want to have. So setting our intention in the middle, that messy middle of our journey, is huge. It helped me change my way of knowing. It helped me change the way I grasped reality. And I'll tell you one thing. I did an about-face toward Jesus because focusing on my faith kept me focused on the love and the grace that I wanted to show up with. So I leaned hard into trusting God. I leaned hard into the belief that God had brought me this far and would be with me into beautiful places that were still coming. It did not come easy at first. I was filled with fear, and I remember sitting one day looking out the window on the, as I sat on the couch and just kind of, a, you know, it was a beautiful day outside, but not so much in here, if you know what I mean. And I remember saying to myself, okay, Sharla, this is where the rubber meets the road. You got that faith. You say you have it. What does that look like? It was another hard conversation I had to have. You know, I wanted to just not talk the talk about trusting God. I wanted to walk the walk and see how it felt. I wanted to walk the walk and see if it made a difference. Even on the days where I was despairing, what happens if I just go there a little bit? What if I just trust in this moment right now today, not thinking about tomorrow? Well, next week, we're going to talk more about transformation. We're going to dive into a little bit more of the strategies we can use, like that one, to help us take that about face. About face. I like about face, though, too. We're going to do an about face. But we're going to talk more about the strategies that we can employ next week to really help us on this hero's journey. Because whether you're in the midst of a really challenging season or you just want something in life to be different, things just aren't working for you anymore, it, none of us gets a free pass in life. We all have to confront these things at some point. Hard stuff happens, absolutely. But radical transformation is possible no matter what it is you're experiencing. In fact, it's the whole gospel story from beginning to end, from death to resurrection. There is always hope. Dying to the old way of living and finding a new way, finding a new story. The whole ideal of the Christian life is a radical new way of thinking, knowing, and being. Every moment, every hour, every day, deliberately, consciously, continually, perpetually offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, offering ourselves to God so that we can be transformed. When we trust wholeheartedly that God is with us, we really can be heroes. We really can be transformed by our own stories and wholes. So amen and let us pray.